What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. We should New York sports talk from Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. We've got a bonus episode for you this week. I'm going to be joined in just a few minutes by Bill Bender of the Sporting News. We are going to talk all about more college football news. A lot of interesting stuff going on in the world of college football. And it's going to be a fun conversation with Bill in just a bit. I also have some thoughts at the end of the show on this ridiculous notion that sports teams are trying to get fans in the building, particularly in the NFL and in college football. My thoughts there. But before we dive into this, the headline of the day right now is that baseball is on hold for now in New York because the Mets down in Miami had two people in their organization, a coach and a staffer. As of recording time on Thursday night, test positive for the coronavirus. First of all, the important thing here is you hope that whoever has the virus in the organization is going to be fine, that the spread was limited to those two individuals and did not go to the rest of the team. You don't want anybody to have to be suffering through this virus. We've heard the horror stories from Freddie Freeman. We heard from people who have been through a lot of bad things. Nobody wants to have this. And right now, the hope is that, you know, everybody comes through fine. Everybody gets through these people. The Mets are able to get home safely. And hopefully, after not too long, they'll be able to play baseball again. Right now, as of record time again, the Mets are supposed to play in Miami on Thursday night. That game isn't postponed. The opener of the Subway Series has been postponed on this weekend against the Yankees. These two games, the back two games, not postponed yet. The precedent, though, says that it's going to happen you already lost two games, and the earliest any teams come back from a positive COVID test is four days. That was Cincinnati Reds, and they have one case. The Mets have two, so you figure this might be a little while. Also, this is another point to baseball that this whole setup is very fraught with peril. Anything could really go wrong. We saw them on the Cardinals were down with this. We saw them on the Marlins were down with it. The Mets are here. You hope that everybody's doing all right, and for everyone out there who started ripping Marcus Stroman for opting out of the season, you owe him an apology. Because Marcus Stroman pointed out clearly on his thing, he said, the virus is an issue. If you're doing everything right, you can get it. You're going to Miami. That's an issue. And that's something I'm concerned about. And the Mets probably picked up the virus down there. They were down there for four days. And they are in the COVID epicenter of the United States. The fact that the Marlins are still playing down there is a joke. I'm sorry. If you're talking about playing outside a bubble environment, you should not be playing sports down in Miami where you have the, one of the biggest COVID rates in the world. There's something MLB should have recognized. They should relocate the Marlins to try and avoid more incidents like this because Marlins obviously picked up COVID. The Mets picked up COVID down there. This is a risk factor for teams in that area. And I would not be shocked if other teams say, you know what, we don't want to go down there seeing what happens, especially if more members of the Mets come back positive. And we will find out more in the coming days. We will not have a Subway Series weekend. I will take that to the bank. I expect 
at the earliest right now. This is, again, very, very, we're waiting to see as comes out here. Precedent says that you will not see the Mets play baseball again until early next week, at the earliest. Obviously, they have to make sure everyone is healthy, everyone's okay. That's certainly a concern. We'll hope all goes well with the Mets, but we'll go our conversation with Bill Bender right after this. They're already in fringe field goal range, and Lawrence, thought one, dumps it over the middle, ETN in space, ETN, 10, Reeves, touchdown Tigers! A championship drive from the defending champs. He's been running and running, and what does that do to the linebackers? They're going to come up to stop that quarterback run game. See him up here? Here is ETN. He just sneaks behind them. All right, I am back here on the podcast talking college football today with Bill Bender, who covers college football for the the Sporting News. Bill, welcome back. How are you? Doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. And I got to say, it's been a very interesting landscape over the last two weeks in college football. What's your take on how things are looking right now? Um, I know when you do a top 25 where 54 schools in the FBS are missing, it's been a one of a kind year in a lot of ways. Obviously, living in Big Ten country, it's been interesting to see the, the drawbacks to what has happened with the decision making process there. And you know, we're just hoping for football in some fashion, but we're also hoping that football can be done safely. Yeah, for sure. And the Big Ten was obviously the big one that's canceled. They've drawn a lot of criticism for how they're doing it, but the plan seems to be they're aiming for some sort of winter season. Do you, how do you think that will work? Because I got a feeling that like a lot of people who would be NFL prospects probably wouldn't play that. I mean, that's the, the, the I mean, how do you convince a Justin Fields to play in that setup when it's pretty clear that they're campaigning to play now? Um, and I think they're, they, you know, Justin Fields leadership has been pretty awesome through the whole process, but, um, yeah, it's one of those things that makes it tough. I I think the idea of a spring season has its merit, but it also has to come with the full expectation. I've said this over and over again, that if you do that, you have to do it with the understanding that the following season will be played in its entirety. So how many games is too many in one calendar year? And that's a, a dicey question. It, it's a very dicey question. That's a future problem. I think the current problem for the schools are trying to play, especially like Notre Dame, uh, North Carolina, North Carolina State, who've had to go virtual instruction for a while. Like, do you think that these schools will actually be willing to play football games if the students aren't on campus right now? I think it's probably safer. That's the catch twenty two. Um, you know, I was a college student once upon a time too, and made plenty of bad decisions. But you can't legislate student behavior. You can do it with the student athletes and you can get away with some things there. And as long as you want to call it for what it is. And I think the big thing there is uh, a lot of, uh, we know it's about the money. Everybody does. And Iowa cuts some programs today. So we know. Um, but I, I do think there is some merit to the idea that we'd be safe and not have students, the actual students on campus and allow those student athletes to play. And we can do the, you know, we can do the debate all you want, but to me, it's actually safer. Yeah, I think in terms of actually like creating kind of a bubble on your campus, I think it is safer. I think the argument people are going to have against it is, well, at this point, does it open the can of worms that the football players should be paid because they're actually more being treated differently than the other students? Well, they should be paid. Yeah, and I think that's the other part of it that they're trying to avoid. Um, you know, the players' voices have grown a lot louder this offseason, and I'm saying that in a um with some of the social changes that have been made by the results of efforts by guys like Kylan Hill. Chuba Hubbard and others 
has been remarkable. Now, the next question is, okay, are we getting paid? And that's going to come down the line, I think. And that's why, you know, when people talk about spring football, I think the offseason could be better spent focusing on that issue, focusing on making the game safer and, and planning a more organized plan for the following season. Yeah, I would agree with that. And before I get into actual like storylines for on the field, one thing I want to throw out there is like, I do feel like that there's a lot of people out there who are claiming the media is against football happening, which I think is a load of garbage because I feel like, obviously, you know, like without the, the games, there's no real need for the media. So I think the idea that the media is against the sport happening is, is, is rubbish. Really, just they want the players involved to be safe in this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, our life, if they don't play football season, I think a lot will lose their jobs in the media business and it's already an uphill struggle in a lot of ways i've been fortunate enough to be in the print and web media since i was in college and you know and you fear layoffs and furloughs and those kind of things in this instance so of course we're not rooting against the game i love football more than anything you know other than my family maybe and i've <laughs> spent love yeah my family for sure and then football's up there pretty high on the priority list um but it's it's one of those things, yeah, when I see that kind of movement that we're no, we're rooting for a safe, pragmatic return and the mental and physical welfare of student athletes. Like the last thing in the world I want to see is a student athlete die because they played in the COVID era and, and that would be the reason why. And I'm not saying that could happen. It could happen. The chances are small, but it could happen. Yeah, that's definitely true. Let's try, I'm going to try and go a more brighter outlook here. Let's say the games get played. I think one thing that's very interesting to me is the idea that Notre Dame this year is just married the ACC for this season. And I was talking to Matt Fortuna, the athletic, earlier in the week. He raised a fun point, like, how interesting would it be if Notre Dame finds a way to win the ACC and then they don't defend the trophy next year? That would be a very interesting outcome. Oh, and the, he's exactly right. Because I have plenty, as a 12-year Catholic school kid, I've got plenty of friends that root for Notre Dame. And, I think that's the scenario they do want and say, ah, that's conference life isn't for us, you know, that kind of thing. And um, it is exciting to finally see them in a conference, knowing that that, that gives Clemson somebody to look at maybe twice. Um, North Carolina could have a really good season with the players they got coming back. And, you know, seeing Notre Dame go to Chapel Hill, what a moment that will be for Matt Brown and his program. Uh, Notre Dame brings a lot of TV, a lot of weight with its program. And uh, to have it in the ACC, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I also think it's interesting to see how Clemson plays. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is very vocal about wanting to play this season, and they're coming off the loss in the title game to LSU. How motivated do you think he is to try and get that second title before he goes off to the NFL inevitably? Well, Trevor Lawrence has had a remarkable career. Um, you know, he has nothing to prove on the field. I mean, when you lead two championship runs and those kind of things that he's done, and um, I think he's only lost one game as a starter. I mean, how much do you really have to prove? But um, he's definitely a guy that, you know, coming off that first loss, they've got they've got to prove all over again. And, you know, he's a guy that could be a Heisman finalist and those kind of things. So I think definitely it'd be interesting to see where the Tigers go. But most preseason publications, what we have left, I mean, we have our revised top 25 out. They'll be number one in most of them. Yeah, I would think they're going to win. I think their biggest challenges will be the teams in the SEC, and I think the SEC fans are probably thrilled they're getting a 10-game conference schedule this year, and I think whoever comes out on top there is going to be really, really intriguing to watch. Well, that's one of the positives of this 10-game conference-only deal that we're doing is we get to see that, and I think once SEC fans get a 
pace to that, they're not really going to want to go back in some ways. And you could see some conferences adopt a nine or ten team conference model. Um, we'll see. Um, but I think it's fun. I mean, the politics behind it's been fun to see the extra crossover games and people reacting to that. So it's certainly something that's going to be interesting as they go along. Yeah, who would you like as your favorite in the SEC? Obviously, Alabama has uh, got to be high up there. Who else do you think can make a good run this year? The same teams, Alabama, LSU could be. I mean, they've got a lot coming back, even though they lost lost a lot more. Um, Auburn in that division, but I mean, Alabama it always starts. Um, it's got a ton of talent coming back, a ton of guys in our top fifty big board. Um, Georgia and Florida will probably duke it out in the SEC East, and you wonder if Tennessee will factor in by maybe knocking off one of their biggest rivals. So all of those things are at work. I mean, that's the conference that, in the current setup, Mike, probably the best bet to have two playoff teams just because of the numbers. And, uh, you know, if two teams are playoff worthy out of that conference, it wouldn't be a surprise at all. Yeah, and I think the other playoff teams probably come from the Big 12. Oklahoma obviously expect to have a good year. What do you think about the Big 12 race? Oh, uh, yeah, it always starts with Oklahoma. I mean, new quarterback. They've got a couple issues now. Kennedy Brooks opting out. and. Trey Thurman obviously transferred to Ohio State, a decision that probably hurts now. Um, but, I mean, that's a team that definitely has a lot of offensive talent, good receivers. Until somebody knocks them off, whether it's in Oklahoma State or a Texas or a TCU, even though they've got some quarterback issues as well, um, those are the teams kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, I think for sure, too. One thing I'm also intrigued by is this idea that some of these teams, especially like in the South, like in the SEC, the ACC, they talk about having – some capacity of fans in the stadiums who support the teams. And I don't know about you, but I just don't think that's a good idea. No, I mean, college football is not going to look like what we want it to look like, whether it's on even something as simple as college football game day, no crowds, tailgating, all those places and traditions we love about it aren't going to be 100% the same. And that's one of the drawbacks here. But we'll see what they do with stadiums. I'm sure the COVID regulations will be high, um, but it's not going to be the same if the stadiums aren't full. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the fun of this is going to be, it's obviously, I think the college football playoff, if they do manage to do it with just the big three leagues, I think it'll be interesting to see if somebody outside outside the uh, top three conferences actually playing can get in there. Maybe something from the AAC or beyond. I think that would be a fun story. I see if I can make, go on the feed and make a run at it. Well, this is the year to do it. So Cincinnati has that opportunity. Uh, Memphis has that opportunity. UCF, another program that's been really good um, that, that they have an opportunity to do it. And uh, they those schools, they would have to go perfect, and I think they would need two-loss chaos in the other three conferences. But this is certainly an opportunity for the AAC to push through. I know the state I live in, Ohio, has eight FBS programs, and the only one playing is Cincinnati. Yeah, for sure. And if we had to, if you had to put like a guess out of today, like who do you think would be the four teams that would make the playoff? Well, I'm working on that now. I mean, it wouldn't deviate too much from what we already had. I mean, you had Clemson, you had Oklahoma, you had Alabama, and then just try to figure out that fourth team. So if I was doing it off the top of my head, probably Georgia. I mean, maybe maybe they – well, the thing is they play Alabama too, so they might have two losses. Either Georgia or a second SEC team would make sense. Um, you just never know. I mean, that's that's something i got to get done is, is with the playoff picture. But, again, now – you only have 76 schools playing, and in theory, there's 88 bull spots. You literally don't have enough teams to fill the bulls at this point. So who knows what that means? 
yeah, I would guess some of the Big Ten, Pac-12 kind of bowls might consider shifting to the spring to follow those teams, if you might guess. If they can do it, yeah. I mean, but again, a lot of those Big Ten bowls have SEC ties. Um, you know, I think they could do They'll be it'll be a less is more type deal for the Bulls this year. Um, where hopefully we can get some semblance of a New Year's Day six. I think it really starts with the playoffs. Can you get the playoff in? Yeah, my last question is obviously before the year starts, I mean the Heisen trophy is gonna be a bit different because Justin Fields are talking tender is not probably gonna be in the mix for if they stick to their original timetable of December. Like who do you like as your Heisman favorites? I mean Trevor Lawrence time is now. I mean he's got everything else on his resume except for that. Um, there'll be some guys in the SEC. I know there's some exciting players, um, but a guy like Sam Howell could make a run at it. Ian Book has been around forever. Uh, it will kind of depend on which SEC quarterback really steps up. You wonder, you know, if LSU has a great year, do people maybe take a little bit of a longer look at a guy like Derek Stingley? His, his outstanding talent. I mean, he has been compared to Charles Woodson. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've been able to be fortunate enough to vote on that award the last several years, and Hoping to do that again. All right, Bill. Thanks for all the time. I know you're very busy right now. Thanks for giving me a few minutes. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media and keep up with what you're writing in the sporting news? Yeah, I'm at Bill Bender at sportingnews.com. And as usual, you know, we'll have plenty of content leading up to the season. I know we've been able to touch base with you a few times during, and it's always a good conversation. So thanks for having me on, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Yeah, hopefully we'll have a playoff. I'm able to talk to you again by that, around that point. Sounds great. All right, and there you have it. That is Bill Bender talking college football. A lot of fun in that conversation. Hopefully, they find a way to safely play these games. And and the key word here, as Bill has alluded to, is safe. We want the athletes to be safe when they're playing the sport. Obviously, the athletes want to play, but there have to be protocols in place to make sure they're able to safely do their games and reduce the risk of playing a coronavirus situation. The pros have found ways. Sometimes some involve bubbles. Some involve frequent testing. There is a way I think the three power conferences will be motivated to find that way to make it happen. Whether the situation around the campuses allows it remains to be seen. But up next, we'll go to the two-minute drill. Something I addressed earlier with Bill and the conversation. Something I addressed last week. The idea of the fans in the stadiums. I have thoughts. Let's come up with the two-minute drill right after this. The two-minute drill. All right, we are back here. Two-minute drill. I want to touch on something that's developed since the last podcast released on Tuesday. The idea of teams hosting fans in the stadiums. I didn't think it was a great idea at the time. We were making fun of the Cowboys for their open-air stadium environment, making it safer to host fans, which is laughable. But since then, several teams and leagues have moved towards allowing fans into buildings. The NFL, the biggest one is the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champs. They have announced plans with 22% of capacity to Arrowhead Stadium, about 16,000 fans. The SEC, they're still playing to play football. They also released some guidance for programs willing to admit fans to the buildings. Let's start with the Chiefs, some highlights of their statement. You have to wear your mask at all times, except for when you're eating and drinking. They ban spitting, so you can't spit sunflower seeds, you can't spit tobacco, etc. Cars are going to be asked to park in every other spot to encourage physical distancing, so you can't park next to someone. You can only tailgate behind your car and with people who are in your ticket pods. So, like, if we're sitting in the same section, we can tailgate together. But if your friend Jimmy is sitting in the upper deck and I'm in the middle deck, you can't tailgate with him. From the SEC, masks obviously required. They want physical distancing in the elevators. 
tailgating is on a case-by-case basis determined by local authorities and the suite hopping. So you can go from one suite to another. You can't do that. But you can be in a field-level suite as long as you stay six feet away from anybody involved in the game, players, coaches, officials at all times, including when you're leaving. I just want to say these are nearly impossible to enforce. How are we going to do this? We're going to have police roaming around the stadium, parking lots, saying, oh, do you have tickets together? Can you tailgate together? Are we going to do that? Are we going to trust people not to sit together at the stadium? You don't have enough people to enforce all these things. And one of the questions the epidemiologists are asking, and one that I feel is appropriate to ask is, what are we gaining from all this? And we have to define we here. Not we as in the sports team, we's in, not we's in the Kansas City Chiefs, we's in the SEC schools. Them, it's clear. They are gaining money in their pockets, and they are acting according to their business interests, saying, okay, we can allow some fans into the building. Let's recoup some money. We're going to take a loss and not make it as big of a loss. But we as a society, we're not gaining anything from this. Schools are having trouble staying open. In case you've been following the stories in the South where schools are opening, we have teachers and students already have to quarantine. We're unsure if it's safe for people to vote in the election and in person. And we've heard about all the hubbub from the post office about how they not, might not be able to handle all the ballots coming in by mail. But sure, let's bring 16,000 people to Arrowhead Stadium with a positive rate for COVID. It's about 10% in Missouri right now. Alabama, Clemson Tide, claim to have 20% of the fans at Bryant-Denny Stadium. It's 8.3%. Mississippi, another SEC school, 20% testing positive for COVID right now, nearly 20%. All three of those states are at risk of an outbreak according to covidactnow.org. It's a nonprofit site that basically tracks how states are doing with the coronavirus responses. In Florida, our favorite state on the podcast, Governor DeSantis embracing all sports, 16.4% positive. In Georgia, 12% positive, and both of those are classified by the same site, covidactnow.org, as in an active outbreak. In New York, where the fans are banned from going to games, Governor Cuomo has said you can only do sports if you don't have spectators in the building. The infection rate is 0.8%. They got this. Mississippi, 20% nearly. New York, about 0.8%. New Jersey, where the Giants and Jets can't have fans. If Rutgers was playing, they couldn't have fans either. 1.5%. Games like this are potential super spreader events, and we're letting this go on. Exactly why? This is a quote from Chiefs President Mark Diamond to the Kansas City Star. He said, quote, We believe we can do this in a safe way, but it only works if our fans are disciplined and follow the rules. So in other words, if we have an outbreak at the game, it's the fans' fault. It's not our fault. It's the fault of the fans because they didn't follow the rules. Here's the fault of that logic. According to a Georgia Tech study, the risk of someone in attendance at an event of greater than 1,000 people walking into it with the affection of COVID-19 and not being unaware of it is greater than 99%. You have a nearly perfect chance of someone walking into that building with COVID. And who knows who they are because you're not going to be doing rapid testing on the site of every person walking in the building. They're going to go in there. The potential will be a super spreader. Tennessee Mayor Quentin Lucas recently said going to a Chiefs game is less risky than going to a restaurant because it's outdoors, which, again, you get people are going to be in favor of fans saying, oh, look at the protests. Look how few COVID protest spikes came from that. But then he says to the, to the uh, star, Mayor Lucas, he's a big Chiefs fan. 
I understand the risk, he said. I don't know if I plan to go to a Chiefs game this year. So hold on a second here. The mayor of Kansas City is saying it is not safe for me to go to the game. But all of you who want to go, feel free. I don't feel personally about me going. But you guys can go just fine. What is wrong with that logic? Another great quote from Rex Archer, the health director in Kansas City. He says, is it going to work? I think there remains to be seen. I think it's worth a try. It is worth a try. That's the logic we're going more here. It is worth a try when this virus is spreading uncontrolled and there is no civic benefit of having fans at football stadiums. We're here in New York State. We don't just got the gyms open again in September. Now they're, sure, bring 16,000 people into Arrowhead. Sure, bring 20,000 into Bryant-Denny Stadium. Sure, bring this many people here and there because, God forbid, we mess with our football and God forbid the fans don't get to experience it. It's not the same. The Chiefs themselves have even hinted that they have a responsibility to put on a show because they are the opening game. That means nothing in a pandemic. It really doesn't. This is, again, a very bad job by both the teams and the local health authorities for putting the money ahead of the public health here. MLB, as much as I kill them, I give credit to Rob Manford, who's had teams like the Reds, the Rockies, and the Rangers, as about fans, and he said, we're not ready. The virus is not in a point where it's safe for us to bring patrons into our stadiums. And to that, I say, bravo Major League Baseball for doing the right thing. You've had your issues containing the virus with your own teams, and I can see they're ones who had experiences. They could say, you know what, like it's not worth it to risk our fans in places that are not safe to play. It's not worth it. We even have the governor of Mississippi right now, which again has had to quarantine over 2,000 students and teachers after positive COVID tests. His response to his to his community is not, hey, we have to protect our children, wear a mask. His response is, wear your mask so we can see college football. What is wrong with this picture here? It's really dark that it doesn't matter if the kids get the virus, but you have to wear your mask so we can watch college football. That's something wrong this year. We've also had administrators in North Carolina, which recently went completely virtual for the semester because they had outbreaks on campus. They blamed the students for the outbreaks when the plans they introduced had no shot of succeeding. There was no de-densifying the dorms. There's no hybrid models here. There was no real, oh, like, we're going to put half of the class here, half the class there. They put a bad plan. They said it was the students' fault that this is happening. You have got to be kidding me with this. This is just an example, again, of putting greed and money ahead of the health of people you're supposed to be protecting. And as these colleges should be very ashamed of themselves because this is supposed to be about an education institution. This should not be about, oh, we're going to make sure we play our football games. We have to satisfy the boosters. This should not be about the Kansas City Chiefs saying, well, we have season ticket holders who are going to be upset they can't go to the games. You can watch the game on television. It is not a very different experience in terms of your enjoyment level. You are not going to be happier being at the stadium as opposed to being at home watching the game on TV. It's a different experience for a child who can't physically go to school, has to do it at home over a computer. But we are not prioritizing that. We are prioritizing getting fans into the stadiums in parts of this country. And it's very wrong. It's very bad. 
And as our legal correspondent Phil Fernandez said last week, the health authorities here have to be smarter than this. The owners, I get they have an ethical wrong here. They are prioritizing their money ahead of their health of their fans. That's bad. That's ethically wrong. The health authorities here, the health commissioners, the city folks, the government officials who are putting the welfare of these teams' bottom lines ahead of their citizens' health, shame on them. Real shame on them. I'm proud that my team is one that is not letting fans in this year. I do not sympathize with any of those teams. And the second that somebody from one of those games go picks it up unknowingly, goes to the supermarket, starts a spread, gets somebody sick, and people die from this game. Are we going to hear the Chiefs apologize? Nope. They're going to blame their fans. And they're going to say their fans didn't follow the rules. The fans should not have been there in the first place. Shame on you, Kansas City. And on that note, I'm going to end this week's bonus show. I want to thank my guest, Bill Bender, for calling in to talk about more college football. A lot of interesting stuff going on there. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including our previous episode of the week, where I spoke to Matt Fortuna of The Athletic about the college football situation and my blog, where I talk about the college basketball solutions that I came up with to try and get the season going in some shape or form. You can go to the blog, justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just and the Suffering there. You can find all our episodes on those platforms. You can also go to my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual segments on the episodes will be up, including my conversation with Bill Bender. That will be up on YouTube, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Please leave your feedback and star ratings as well. Help this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag NoFans. He made the end of this podcast again. There should not be any fans at sporting events right now. This situation with the COVID is too nuts. Hashtag NoFans. He made it the end of this week's show. Coming up next week, we have a regular schedule of podcast talking the U.S. Open with Ben Rothenberger, host of the NCR Tennis Podcast. John Stanko here and more. Until then, stay safe, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.